Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm super excited to have both Wally Olson and John Haskell joining me to discuss how best to take advantage of these high cattle prices in the industry and probably more importantly, how to prepare for what follows. So thank you both so much for joining me and welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Thanks, Jared. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. So Wally, I've had you on a few times. I was looking back and it's been episode 17, 18, and 73. Uh, they're great episodes and people should go back and take a listen to those if you want to hear a little bit more about Wally's history and what he does and some of the sell-by marketing stuff he teaches. But John, this is your first time on the Herd Quitter podcast. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit and talking about what you do? You bet. So uh, I met was fortunate enough to meet people like Wally Olson and Bud Williams and Walter Lynn and go to Ranching for Profit about 20 years ago. And during that period, I was... Uh, both ranching on my own, working for other places, managing places, that sort of thing. A couple of years ago, my wife and I decided to start a company, uh, Ranch Ride LLC, where we address what I keep seeing as a central problem for a lot of ranchers, which is nobody is good at bookkeeping. Nobody understands management accounting for ranches. And as much as we do that in the Ranching for Profit School and learn about how to do it, you know, doing it for what a day and a half or whatever it is within the school is really not enough to make people an expert at it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it hit me one day, actually at the conversation Derek Schwanebeck and I were having uh, in a restaurant up in Billings about the fact that bookkeeping and accounting is Whitby work, not what be work. Uh, it is working in the business, not working on the business. And it's what you do with that information <clears throat> afterwards. That is the real what be work. So having good numbers, having them prepared on time, being able to trust them becomes one very important part of then being able to make good decisions. So we started this company explicitly with the idea that we would provide timely, accurate, and actionable financials uh, so that people could change the way they they run their mm-hmm. business and be more profitable. We do a few other things in addition to that. We, we, we do the accounting, but then we also do a fair amount of consulting. Um, and coaching. And so teaching people about best practices in business is one part of the coaching as an example, you know, how to really, how to run that business well, and then making sure we understand what the financials mean and, and then what to do in response to, you know, different numbers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, financials are only one part of how you manage a ranch. Uh, we manage within a holistic context, right? And, but they are a very important part. And and again, that's the part that I feel like we see people fall down on the most. They get their grazing right. They get their animals right. They get all kinds of things right. But, but a lot of us struggle with the financials. And over and over again, we see that's a big difference maker for people. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Not only is it stuff maybe we're not trained well enough to do, but most of us as producers, it's not stuff we want to do, probably. So, Correct. Uh, it's it's good good tool to have. I appreciate you sharing that and probably really important to have as times like the next few years kind of bring us as uh, having good numbers and data to make decisions based off and not emotions or thinking, well, times are good, we must be good, but having a really true, you know, solid numbers to ba- base our decisions off of. So, um I appreciate that. I'm grateful to have both of you on. 
But Wally, you you reached out to me when you read Kit's Kit's newsletter about what you're going to do with all this money and thought this would be a good topic to address. And I, I agree with you completely. Maybe talk a little bit about what when you saw that, what you were thinking, uh, what was going through your mind and, and uh, maybe some of the things that you didn't feel it maybe addressed or that you want to add to that conversation. Well, the main thing is understand that I have lived through the the 1974 crash in the cattle market, and uh, and then we got into the uh, in the ag crisis of the 80s, and then there was another cattle cycle in 90s, and uh, on and on and on. And then I managed the Kelly Ranch, you know, till 2008, and then they leased part of it to me. And moving through the 2008 to 16 was was at, up till now was one of the greatest times in the world to ranch because of what was going on. And uh, the, the the before uh, markets ups and downs, I didn't have the knowledge that I'd learned from Bud Williams on how to manage, you know, marketing going into those. And and. Uh, most of the people are what's going to happen to them is they're going to allow their cow herd inventory value to soar up there, but they aren't going to cash in on it and, and got to cash in on it. There is uh, like we were talking, you know, that the, they talk about the cow calf business. Well, we're really got to need to be focused on being in the cow business. And and the steer caves are just just a unnecessary byproduct of the cow-calf business and stuff, because where you <clears throat> make your money is capturing the appreciation of the inventory value and then mitigating the depreciation that goes on. But nobody tracks it, it and nobody writes checks. You don't receive checks for it. I mean, because you don't realize what's going on and you can receive checks for it. And you got to understand, you know, we got appreciation and depreciation, and now we've got inflation going on in the cattle market and if it rains over a lot of the drought country we will really have inflation going on and then here in uh before you know it we will have deflation or we'll have a crash of the market and you can you can profit going up you can profit going down if you just use good marketing oh that's a it's a good point about capturing or just even thinking about the value of your cows and that most people are not thinking about that. And I'm purely thinking about the calves and most people probably in markets like this, especially coming off a drought, trying to restock are doing the exact opposite rather than cashing in on the value. They're, they're, they're buying in at the high point and kind of setting themselves up for a pretty steep depreciation uh, curve on those cows over the upcoming few years. Um, so how do people maintain a cattle business? I guess how do you because if you, if you just sell all your cows to take advantage of the high market, that doesn't leave you with assets to cash flow going forward. So how do you how do you if you're advising or if people should be looking at the you know, capturing some of the equity in their appreciated cows? How do they still stay in the cattle business and utilize their other resources, their land and what you have to out? what you have to realize is that you know there's always something overvalued and undervalued in 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 your inventory most of the time it is weaned heifer calves are the most undervalued animal and and you just keep them and work them up you know into a productive cow 
and then you make sure you sell it before you uh, she starts to depreciate. And you can you, you 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 can do this, and and still you will maintain your cow herd. It's just that you're marketing rather than a good example is rather than marketing a a seven hundred dollar call cow or a thousand dollar call cow. You're marketing a two thousand dollar or a four thousand or a like some people say five thousand dollar you know productive cow. And so you stay in the business. It's just you change how you market and, and you don't change your numbers. You just stay in the business, but you do a better job of marketing them. And see some of the biggest, two of the uh, biggest paradigms that I see in the uh, cow-calf business is, is, uh, is longevity and then indigenous knowledge, you know, everybody says, you know, you, you know, and to me on longevity, if a cow breeds till she's five years old, that's all the, that's all the longer longevity. I need that cow because she is going downhill from there. And because of the way depreciation in the cow herd works, it is not straight line. It, they go up in value. They hold their value till they're, you know, four to six, and then they drop off. And then on indigenous knowledge, you know, if a cow, you know, she knows how to live on the ranch. Well, if a heifer calf is born on the ranch, she gets bred on the ranch and raises a calf or two on the ranch. She has, I don't know, 90% of the, 99% of the indigenous knowledge of the good old cow, you know. And, and uh, you know, you do not... You can you can capture most of the value of those two things without having to keep them till they're depreciated out. Now, if you're in the beef business, if you're selling ground beef or whatever, that's a different deal, you know, and stuff. But you still need the turnover of the of the business. You know, people don't understand how important turnover is in this business. And I will let the bookkeeper talk about turnover because he is into turnover. So let let's uh, let's clarify a couple of things on this. The first one that I always feel like I need to mention is the difference between tax depreciation and real market fluctuations, right? So when Wally talks about yeah. depreciation, and Wally, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are pretty explicitly not talking about tax depreciation. We take advantage of tax depreciation in our taxes, but what we're talking about is real changes in the market that drive the prices of cows up and down. And some of that is over time, and some of that is on different you know, segments within the cow business. Um, the other thing that I, the, the reason I'm so into turnover, as Wally talks about, is uh, we, are, we are all familiar, I think, with the concept of our balance sheet. And that is we own assets and those assets, you know, go up in value that the, you know, the bottom number on our balance sheet goes up. And there are ways to invest in assets like cows, sheep, uh, you know, agricultural commodities that allow that growth to be, you know, sort of linear or track the market, right? They go up, they go down. And there are ways to turn that into compound growth. And, and the way to do that is to generate those places where, we can sell a product, capture the appreciation, or capture the appreciation, and replace it uh, at a profit, and then reinvest that profit. 
And what we consistently see in, in our customers is that those that are doing that and doing it well produce growth that is far beyond what anybody would expect in agriculture. It's far beyond what anybody expects in a lot of businesses. But over and over across small business, we see that when you can capture profit and reinvest it, you have a tremendous opportunity uh, to create a lot of growth, which, of course, then creates more cash flow in the future uh, and allows you to keep you know, allows you to do more and more of it. And I, I think we've only really started to scratch the surface of that potential. Um, the ideas that, you know, Wally and Doug Ferguson and Bud Williams have taught over the years, uh, have they are real game changers. And if we stop at the sort of basic model that is taught by ranching for profit, we will we will do okay. Um, we even, even well, you know, depending on what your standards are. But when you add in this dynamic, of, of compounding your growth through, you know, appreciation capture, uh, then that it's a total game changer. They're almost two separate businesses kind of, right? I mean, you have your operating business that produces calves every year and you can try to run your operation in some sort of a low input system or a high input system that sells at an even higher value, but you have your margin capture in your calves. And then you have this equity business of it's kind of almost not day trading, but it's kind of similar to day trading in that you're trying to capture value and appreciation of livestock and then, uh, you know, buy undervalued value, just like you're buying undervalued stocks. And so most people are probably totally just giving up on the opportunity to run the second business of day trading yep. cattle, I guess you could. Well, and let's, let's reframe that day trading sometimes gets a bad, it gets a bad rap. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I, I have nothing against that, but, but what it really is, is asset management. Okay, so when we think yeah. about our business from a ranching for profit context, we are thinking about the management of that and, you know, keeping costs low and getting a good calf crop and doing well with our grass, those sorts of things. There's a whole other side of the business that is a very different skill set, which is the management of the underlying asset. And this is the part that's taken me quite a while to sort of grasp, as Wally will tell you, he and I have been friends for 20 years. And I think it's, you know, he's repeated this stuff to me forever and it finally sinks in at a certain point, you know, and becomes actionable. But, uh, but this, I, I was at a talk by the Wyoming stock growers down in Carbon County and they had a, I think it was an insurance guy that talked and he talked about asset management. And that was really a fascinating way to think about things because he really looked at the ranch, not from the, from the position of, you know, what's the cash flow from the ranch, but how do I manage the value? of this whole place, right? So take a multi-million dollar ranch that may have cash flow that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, if we manage the appreciation of that correctly uh, and and particularly manage the depreciation of that correctly, right? They, they go kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, we have an opportunity to create huge amounts of money, you know, amounts of money that often dwarf our actual cash flow. And it's the same in a cow herd. Mm -hmm. One of the things we do as a as a you know bookkeeping accounting company is we spend a lot of time looking at the value of what you own, which is not kind of standard bookkeeping practice, right? Bookkeeping usually just looks at your bank statements and, and receipts, right? But as we saw about the time you were getting in the cow business, right? Cow, I don't know what you paid for cows, but if you took a number like $3,000, right? And then there in about a nine month, 12 month period, we saw even less a real collapse in those values down to about 800 to a thousand dollars. You took, let's say a 50 to 70% decrease in your inventory value. Well, I don't care what your cash flow is. That's hard to come, overcome, right? Yeah. 
Now, if you never yeah. sell anything and you don't book that loss in value, you can act like a bank during a foreclosure crisis and sort of artificially keep the value of your cows high. But un unlike property, cows kind of have to get sold at a certain point. And so those values get marked to market. And then that's when the real collapse happens. So if you own a million dollar cow herd and suffer a 50% drop in value, you know, there's a good chance that that totally overwhelms a couple of years worth of cash flow, right? In the same way that one workman's comp accident can completely ruin the profitability of a ranch, uh, you know, one market year, like, was it 15 or 16 when that happened, uh, you know, just overwhelms everything else you're doing. So I agree with you. There is a very important split in our business management. One side is the operation management of the business and the other is asset management. We are often sitting on, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars worth of assets that, you know, includes real estate, includes livestock, includes all kinds of things. And managing that asset for the highest return is a huge part of being very successful in business. Yeah. And John, there's mentioning something I think I mentioned before we started for the listener here. I'll have to share it more in another story. When I first got into the industry in 2014, I bought open heifers at the high of the market and got to experience a very expensive lesson in the the ways of depreciation pretty quickly. Do you remember but, what you paid um, for those? I You don't have to say, but I'm curious. It, it was somewhere around 22, 2300, I think for yeah. open heifers. And yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely got to see, see them Sorry to value that. for a yeah. while. And no, it was it was a great learning experience. I had a couple. Of, I'm gonna. I just made a note before the podcast. I have to do a solo episode on my early learning experiences because yeah. I had two that come to mind. Very real, expensive ones that uh, could be worth sharing with people. But that'll be for another episode. But uh, it's interesting, just like this this discussion of capturing value on in your assets, because I think so often we hear of farmers and ranchers being asset rich, cash poor kind of a thing. I mean. And and it doesn't have to be Correct. that way. I mean, like it, in land, land is maybe an asset that's it's illiquid. It's hard to capture without taking out equity, borrowing against the equity or something, which can be done in certain scenarios, but probably is is a separate thing. But this livestock asset value that otherwise does not produce, it doesn't have to be a thing that you just watch go up and down, and and just you know my net worth <laughs> is up, my net worth is down. My net, I mean, it can be something that's captured. That's a really interesting perspective that could change the. I don't know. Yeah, it could change a lot of business. And, and let me add something to that. Sorry, Wally. Real quickly, you you mentioned that you know borrowing against asset appreciation, and that is a place I think where we see or have seen, and I don't mean necessarily in our clients, but just industry wide, we see people get into the terrible trouble is when they are working with a banker that is loaning off their balance sheet because the balance sheet doesn't pay bills, cash flow does. Right. And so it is possible for assets to go up in value, but to have no change in your cash flow. And cash flow is what determines repayment ability. Lots of banks are wise to that. Yeah. Some are not. Um, but but I think you want to be very careful when you are borrowing against asset appreciation. What I want to borrow against is asset value in part, but cash flow, because cash flow is what <laughs> really determines my ability to make the payment. And it's making the payment that keeps yeah. me in business. So I'm thrilled you bring that up. Sorry, Wally, I interrupted you. Well, one thing, one thing uh, back to back to doing this. One reason I'm so passionate about getting the word out this time. When I just first or started to sell my cows in 2014, 
at Coffeyville Livestock Auction. I was sitting on the back row and there was a young, Jared was sitting there with his wife and, and child. And this kid was playing there and they were buying cows. And I wanted to tell them, you know, for God's sakes, don't buy those cows, you know. And, and but but who was I to know? I mean, everybody was saying, you know, we, the, the, the way this business worked, we got four or five good years left in us, you know. And and, uh, you know, it still it still haunts me that what happened to them. And, and it's just, you know. Price really doesn't matter. It's the relationships of the market, the relationships of what you have in inventory. And you, when when something is overvalued to something else, you sell it, you know. And yeah. that is that is just mm -hmm. all there is to it. And it works going up, it works going down and stuff. And, and there's the one more one more piece to that, which I find fascinating, having watched this a little bit for a few years, is that while the, you know, sort of Bud Williams philosophy of sell by does not make any attempt to predict the top of the market, uh, it is fascinating to me that it often catches it perfectly. And I've watched two or three times in cows and sheep where good sell by marketers are watching those relationships. And, and take last year in the sheep business as an example where there was a long time where the price was high, but the signal was very much old because there wasn't a great replacement. Suddenly the replacement appeared, the transactions really started to flow and man, all of a sudden then the market went to a very different place. So I, I think it's interesting to me that, you know, Bud and, and Wally and Doug, you know, don't talk about predicting the market, but oftentimes they wind up getting it really right. <laughs> And that's probably, I mean, they're trading there. I think it's Doug that said like everything is for sale at all the, all the time. And so if everything's for sale, you're probably, you're turning over stuff all the time. You're likely to say, yes, I sold at the market, at least right. one of your transactions, <laughs> one of your groups of cattle. I mean, it's nice to say the guy who you know only sells once every few years or something, it's awfully hard to capture. The oh man. Market. Yeah. And yeah. and that those yeah. those relationships but, reveal a lot about the underlying psychology and dynamics of the market. So while we look at the difference between the you know the simple difference between the price of a bred cow versus a five hundred pound heifer calf, uh, that relationship has so many different pieces in it. Right? We just look at one number. It's super simple. You can you know you can look at a sale report, see it in thirty seconds. But the fun part about that is that is capturing a, a huge load of market data that that is reflected in all of those individual transactions. And we don't have to understand the underlying parts of it. We just need to understand what the relationship is. Yeah. So Wally, I think this is something you talk about. I've heard you talk about a few times anyway, and I'm not a tax expert and stuff, but isn't there some advantage too to selling like bred females or females as opposed to stock or you know, calves or something at the high market moving from like an income to a, capital gains appreciation type tax is there another advantage or one of you guys maybe know more about the big the big advantage there is is you can uh, you can uh you know ride this asset up in value and since and since you plan to keep it to breed you can sell it after two years for at capital gains rate and usually that is i and i need to find out for sure but it's half of what ordinary income is Plus, you do not have to pay self-employment tax. And like I tell everybody, if you're not willing to pay self-employment tax, you got to manage your own retirement. But 
you know, that's because that's what Social Security is, and that's where it comes from. And 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 if you're interested in buying land, you know, you know, your land is bought with after-tax dollars. So we need to be focused on after-tax dollars. And people poo-poo, or you know, you know, we do a lot of tax management is done stupidly, you know, but I like there's two sides to everything. There's stupid tax management and there's wise tax management. And you need to be on the wise side of tax management and stuff. Yeah. Well, I like how the ranching for profit, they talk about everybody's order of how they analyze a business decision is done backwards with taxes being first, followed by the finance, by followed by economics. And I think is the way they talk about it. And, and not that I'm, you know, by asking you that, I'm trying to say everybody should make decisions based on tax stuff. But if, if the decision, the best decision based on the value of your livestock and everything is, is to sell cows. It seems like the best ass. I mean, it's got some tax advantages too. So that was worth mentioning. And and there is a certain, there is a certain point in your business when taxes, if you are very profitable, taxes become a significant expense that you need to manage. So I, we do not manage the business to avoid taxes, but when taxes become, you know, your largest single expense, just as the same way you do when feed is your largest expense, right? You better be paying attention to it and you better be managing it. I had I heard a great quote recently from a guy I'm a big fan of, Tom Wheelwright, uh, who's a tax accountant. And uh, he said, you should pay attention to your tax bill at about the percentage that you are paying. So if you're paying a 5% marginal tax rate, you should spend about 5% of your time thinking about managing your taxes. If you're paying a 40% marginal tax rate, <laughs> probably ought to be spending 40% of your time. I thought that was a great guideline. Lots, yeah, of, lots like of people that. worry about taxes when it's a tiny fraction of what they do. Not worth, you know, I get it. It yeah. makes people mad. Nobody <laughs> likes to send money to the government, et cetera. But at that level, it's not yeah. worth managing. When it's a six-figure bill that's coming in, better be paying attention. And one, yeah. one thing, Jared, you know, taxes, you know, and well, just everything is just part of the business and you need to manage, put all the parts of the business together. You know, you need, you know, you need low input cows, you know, and you need to, you know, not have much death, grow with retained earnings. I mean, when you become profitable, you don't need the bank, you know, and, and we, what you need to do is just mm -hmm. develop another paradigm that we're going to ranch without the bank, you know, and, and you don't even need to have a yeah. full whatever insurance policy to do it. You know, just pr be profitable and you can grow without, you know, either one of those mm -hmm. stuff. You just need to get your mind around that. You know, Bud, bless his heart, you know, he said, you know, being in animal agriculture is the greatest place to be because it's the most screwed up place same way with going to work for a ranch, just like an old man told me when I went to work for a ranch. He said, you don't want to go work, you know, hunt up the well-managed ranches. There's nothing you can do. You want to find out the ones that are most screwed up and, and go to work there because there's nothing you can do wrong. Well, the cattle business to me is really screwed up the way we manage it. And it can be very profitable or the sheep. I mean, you know, production animal agriculture has tremendous potential to me. And I, I would I would second that. I, I just spoke at a uh, conference this weekend. And of course, one of the things that often comes up is people trying to add profit into their ranching enterprises. They're going to they're going to go like direct consumer, you know, 
And, and I think what is vastly underappreciated is that you can add far more profit with a lot less risk by not doing that, by staying very focused and really learning the commodity agriculture business. Uh, be, because as Wally said, so many are kind of managing badly. You're operating within this wonderful environment where if you have knowledge and if you have skills, you have all the advantage. I love to hear people yeah. say, oh, well, it's all these 50 cow producers that mess everything up for the rest of us. It's like, no, that is absolutely not true. They create tremendous opportunities. Uh, and I, I don't yeah. say that in a way to sort of take advantage of people. But, you know, when there are people that manage poorly, that gives those of us with skills the opportunity to come in and add value very easily. If we were operating yeah. in a very highly skilled, you know, very highly professional environment, it would the differences would be tighter. Oh, we'd, we'd have to be even better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I've wondered that same thing as people always talk about where, yeah, like you said, we're competing against folks who don't have profit in mind. And so they're making it difficult, but at the same time, they're artificially because they're not thinking about their numbers. They're kind of unintentionally bringing up the break-even cost of production. And for people like us who can focus on cost of production and keep their cost low and produce at a lower value, that's giving an advantage. Whereas if everyone was really running their operations like a business, man, this would be tight, slim margins, even for even for the sharpest of business people. It, it's a very imperfect market in that way, I guess, in that you know, we can we have these opportunities to compete against people who are not operating as a business. And yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I I'm a, glad you mentioned that. I have a I have a good friend, James Sewell, and I'll just tell you this. If I'm going to sell something to somebody, I probably don't want to sell to him. <laughs> there are lots of other people in the world I would rather sell to. Now, that doesn't mean that doesn't, you know, that can't happen, but it's just yeah. I might be interested in yeah. selling to somebody with less of a profit motive than what he has. Uh, there, there's another uh, there's another part to that, of course, which, you know, is fascinating to me, which is this market is big enough that there's nobody else's business that affects ours, right? There are very few decisions of my neighbor that in reality affect my business. And I, I think we do well to get rid of that mentality entirely, right? To just, you know, well, he's doing it this way. It doesn't matter what he's doing. Focus, mind your business. That's the thing that matters the most. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that yeah. a lot of people talk about is everybody would like to have rain in good markets. And I think as we look, as we go forward into this coming market, what we're about to see is that those are not the markets that produce the most profit. Markets that are choppy, markets that have a lot of variability, markets that have a lot of uncertainty, those are places where profit comes from. Uh, uh, a guy I love to listen to, Ron Baker, talks about the fact that profit comes from risk. And if we managed in an area where we always had enough grass and we always had you know, good markets, the, the opportunity to exploit differences and, you know, exploit opportunities really goes down, right? Because suddenly, again, we're in an area where maybe it doesn't take as much skill. Maybe it doesn't take as much knowledge or insight. You can just, you know, if you could come to a market where you can just make money by doing the same thing over and over again, that's going to, I'm going to say that's going to get pretty boring, but it's also going to become pretty unprofitable over time. So pray, praying always for rain and good markets is, uh, you know, that's one approach, but I think a better approach is to, you know, pray for wisdom to be able to exploit opportunities as they as they arise. <clears throat> one thing you want to yeah. say, you know, everybody talks about high prices and, and you have to if you're working on a set amount of capital and, and this is for the people in the stocker business, if you're in the cow calf business and you, you know, you and 
basically set your cost of your calves. Because if you're in the cow-calf business, you're buying calves. You understand what I'm saying? For what? It costs you to produce them. That is what you pay for calves. People don't, you know, don't say we don't buy calves. Like you, you buy calves because it's your cost of production. And you, if you've got a low cost of production, you've got your calf prices set. So as this market runs up, you will do wonderful, just like Kit's article said. If you're in the stalker business, this first turn right now is is is. I mean, people are going to make a lot of money. You know, but the problem is, is when they go to buy back, it's going to take a lot of money. And the problem with that is, is you're going to pay since it's first in, first out tax accounting. Um, you are going to pay a lot of taxes and not be able to take advantage of, you know, the higher. I mean, you're you're just going to be put in a big squeeze there. P people don't realize that, but and stuff. But if you're in the cow-calf business, you are going to, uh, you know, you've set the price of your calves and stuff. And one thing you haven't, though, back going back there is you're going to have a huge run-up in your inventory value, like we talked about. And you just need to, you know, and let me run through exactly what you need to be doing here is the first thing you need to do is, for God's sakes, don't lock up, you know, and and always do the math. And just like right now, I'm trying to buy some feed or stalker cattle to put on grass. Well, the market is going up. You understand what I'm saying? And you could lock up and say they're too high, but you need to do the math. Also, the uh, our ability to market cattle is going up, and so we can we can take advantage of that. So, and and it's just the relationships. All I'm interested in there and stuff. And it's the same way you need to be looking at the relationships of the, uh, what you have on inventory, you know, what the heifer, everybody says, well, God, these heifer calves are too high to keep. And, and one time I had a gentleman, we were talking, this was in 2017, we were talking about, you know, the, the up and down of the market. And he said, boy, I really screwed up in, in 2014, I kept heifer calves. Uh, yeah, I did not stop and explain this to him. No, where he really screwed up is he didn't sell his five-year-old cows because his heifer calves were worth, you know, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars. Well, he's, those five-year-old cows were worth thirty-five hundred because they were really good black cows, and 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 where he took a beating is on those cows, not on those heifers and stuff. And as you trade through this, you've always got to be looking forward. Don't look back at prices because as we work our way down, you know, in 2016, you know, I had been selling, you know, bred heifers and stuff for 2,900 and 2,200. Well, I got to 2016 and uh, I had $1,575 in these heifers and I could only get $1,600 for them. Well, at that point, most upstanding good cattlemen say, hell, I can't sell them for that. I'll just keep them. Well, if you were looking forward at the relationship, the heifer calves had also just toppled the market. And it was still a very good trade to sell the $1,600 heifer and buy back a $600 or $1,600 bread heifer and a $600 heifer calf. It's still a good trade. You work your way down. And it's locking up to kill you, going up and going down.
And it, and again, the relationship we're talking about is between what you sell and what you replace it with. And it is so easy to think about dollar numbers and get trapped in that. So I live in Sheridan, Wyoming, or near there, 30 minutes out of there. And housing prices here are high. I have talked to a number of people who say, man, our house is doubled in value. We're going to sell it. The problem is you have to have a house to live in. So what are you going to replace it with? Well, all of the replacements have also doubled in value. So if you're willing to go from a five-bedroom house to a two-bedroom house because your kids have moved out, that's one very different thing. But if you still have kids at home and need the same size house, you are going to sell your house and you are then going to have to buy back at the inflated price. And it's the same with the relationships in the cow business. There are lots of times where cows are overpriced and heifers are underpriced uh, or where heifers are overpriced and cows are overpriced. And it's that relationship of always looking at it as what can I sell and what can I replace it with and what's the spread. So when Wally talks about those relationships, we, we never pay much attention to the absolute dollar amount. We pay a lot of attention to the to the cash flow generated in the trade. So the difference between the sell and the buyback. So kind of a question on that then to your point of, it seems like some of these people have been able to pick the market. How do we know when the right time is to sell right now? Things have inflated, but are we there yet? I mean, if this rain comes back this year, I mean, 2023 could bring even higher prices. And well, if they stay high for two or three years, are we better to try and get one more calf out of her before we sell her at an inflated price? Or do we sell her right away to avoid it going down? I mean, and maybe this is all, no, there's no perfect way to know, but uh, how do we, I mean, you can look at it and it can be a good trade at any given time, but maybe it would be a better trade in a year. <laughs> Does Jared, that make sense? Jared, may I state something that's going to be very directed at you? You're not been listening. <laughs> He's asking good <laughs> questions. Come on. See, you get, see that's what yeah. everybody gets to worrying about. And you, you don't need to be worrying about whether this is the high or the low. You look at the relationships. Yeah. If you can sell that cow and keep that heifer calf, you know, it's a good relationship. You can, you just go yeah. along, you know, yeah. just get cool. price out of your mind. If there's one thing I get here, price does not matter. It is the relationships of the inventory value that you're managing. But let me let me add a couple of things to that. In many different markets, including equity markets, there's been a lot of research on what's called market timing, right? Trying to try, pick the top and pick the bottom. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. Nobody picks the market correctly, right? Nobody, you miss it yeah. every time. And mm -hmm. and Wally, I'd love it if you'd share your hedging story in that uh, in that context. But the other thing that happens is, even if you pick the market perfectly, it is often an inferior strategy to being in the market constantly. Okay, that time you spend out of the market, let's just say, uh, has has a cost, whether you recognize it or not. It has a much lower cost in equities than it does uh, in the in the livestock business, right? Because we still have to keep the lights on. We've got to keep everything going. Uh, so our overheads don't go away if we destock when we think the market peaks, right? Um, but even with that, again, we we want to make sure. I think that an important distinction is. It here is that we also want to be cash flow focused. When you are a cash flow investor as opposed to an appreciation investor, you can generate cash flow no matter what the value of the underlying asset is. And I think as long as you 
portfolios on cash flow, that gives you the best opportunity to generate income, whether the market's going up or down. And the value of cash flow is actually the that's the best. That's the most important, valuable thing. Wally, do you want to, you know a lot about the market. Do you want to share your hedging story about how you had picked the, the top of the market? Oh, yes. You know, I was back in 2000 and I forget, I think it was 14. I was, I knew, or 13, I can't remember when it happened, but, you know, I knew that feeder cattle couldn't go over 175, you know, and I, the cattle that I had bought, they were very profitable at 175. And so I hedged one load of feeder cattle and stuff and when when it got when the market got done going to two dollars and 41 cents that is 410 dollars per head in margin calls on those cattle you understand what i'm trying to say and so and there there was gobs of people that that hedged those cattle at that because they were profitable but they left a huge amount of money on the table and then the next year, when they really needed to be hedging, they weren't going. There's no way in hell they were going to hedge them, and they lost. So they got beat up going up and going down. And so if you just stay in the market, you do not need to do all of this stuff. You just need to stay in the market and sell what's overvalued and buy what's undervalued. Understand that you know when when the market goes down, your your net worth's going to go down and. And stuff, but if you capture the cash as it's given to you, you you can live very happily on really good cash flow. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you putting me in my place, Wally. Sometimes those of us not quite as experienced need to hear it said just like that to really make it click. So I appreciate that. But uh, for those, I guess maybe not as familiar, can you explain kind of again then how even in a down market because expectedly i mean in 2014 i guess everybody thought it was going to keep riding and stuff it does come down how does this philosophy continue to make a person profitable in a downward market when everything is decreasing in value working down i, I, will, I will give you an example and and uh and i don't have for me but as as we sold out in in 2014 i sold a set of cows and I kept the heifer calves they raised. And I sold the cows for, for basically $3,000, let's say. And and the heifer calf, and to make it into a bred heifer, cost me $1,500. Because you've always got to make it, whatever you keep, you've got to make back yeah. to where you, you know, a heifer calf needs to be a bred heifer. So in other words, you know, in that trade, I picked up $1,500 in cash. And I had a bred heifer. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we come down to 2016 and the market is cratered. And so I have $1,500 in this bred heifer, but I can only get $1,600 out of her. But the thing is, by always looking forward at the relationships and not back, this is what kills people. This is where you would lock up right there. You would lock up and not sell her, but you sold her. And you could you could uh, you could uh, buy back a heifer for six hundred dollars. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And you put in the the three hundred or three hundred and you know whatever that it takes to uh, to run her. So now you had uh, you know a basically a thousand dollar red heifer. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And you still picked up uh, six hundred dollars in cash. Yeah. 
And, and we worked our way down in one of the biggest crises in the market and picked up cash yeah. every year. Yeah. And that cash is so important because it allows you not only to keep paying the bills, right, which don't stop whether the market's up or down, but then it allows you to go and take advantage of those yeah. opportunities that present themselves. So and, was that, was it a year or two later, you know, we were buying $580 heifers. Yeah. Those were fantastic buys. And just to contrast that, I guess, to the person who decided to ride that through, can you maybe walk through what that, I mean, that person would have had a $3,000 cow and had very little cash flow for three years, but taking that cow from $3,000 to $900 or whatever bred, bred female or even less, cause it's not a heifer anymore. It's now a five, six, seven year old cow or whatever. And so, yeah, they didn't capture any cash along the way. They just turned her into a, a much cheaper cow. Oh. Yeah. And, and they were, and, and there, there's people still paying for those cows. You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, no, that was that was a perfect example. Thank you for walking through that. Um, John, one thing I know you had mentioned and kind of before the call that you wanted to talk about too is that um, maybe we, I mean, everything's kind of pointing towards good markets and good times, but the last few years have showed that, oh, who was it that's, oh, I just heard on a podcast recently, we should stop calling them black swan events and start calling them Canadian goose events because they happen every year or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's always what ifs or different things out there, I guess. I don't know if you want to touch on it at all, what you were maybe alluding to. Well, well, I do. And and this is one, Wally's been talking a lot about, uh, about how good markets are going to be. And I my, the contrarian in me, uh, which I've been well, well trained by Wally and Bud and others, uh, is that we should always be looking for the opposite. And I agree with whoever you spoke to that talked about the Canada Goose events. The Black Swan deal is way overused, mm -hmm. right? Black Swan, in my mind, is reserved for things we didn't know we didn't know, right? So things you can't even imagine. So take a global pandemic as an example. That's been modeled multiple times, mm -hmm. right? We, it's happened before. Like, you know, we had the Spanish flu in the 20s or teens, whenever that was, right? These things have actually happened. They're probably going to happen again. Uh, there's no reason to think that, there, you know, this isn't going to become a portion of our life. Not on a, you know, I'm not planning for a pandemic next year, but certainly within the next 100 years, we're probably going to see something similar. We have talked about good markets now for a number of years. Drought has been something that has held us back a bunch. Uh, you know, take the Holcomb plant fire, which we, Wally and I did an interview recently with Logan Pribino, right? He, they were kind of teed up to have a tremendous success. And then that happened right at the critical time. If you had cattle on feed and about the 20th of March in 2020, right? You understood what suddenly it meant to not be able to sell cattle, uh, for a period of time, you know, it's the same with other parts of the food chain, right? But boy, if you had stuff on feed that was finished right around there, it became very difficult. As much as I love to look forward to what could become, there is huge danger in predicting the future. And the stuff, again, that that Bud taught us about living in the moment is incredibly important because we always want to be prepared for what we think is going to happen to not happen. So however you want to do that, uh, sell-by marketing is one great strategy for managing risk. And it's probably the highest return risk management strategy that there is. Um, but whatever you do, you need to be cautious of the fact that things are not going to turn out the way we plan. 
Um, I am a huge, I've been for a long time a fan of budgeting and that sort of thing. And I've really just got so sick and tired of the process um, and of the thoughts that sometimes come with it, because I'm afraid we oftentimes, we are, we unwillingly sort of bias our mind in the wrong direction and thinking about the future and even things, exercises like budgeting can really create a situation that helps us lock up, which is exactly what Wally is talking about not doing. Oftentimes when our expectations are not met, we enter this period of uncertainty and we forget that the planning process has a lot to do with understanding how to respond when changes happen. Uh, instead of what we often think of, but this is what's going to happen. Uh, and I, I, I want to make that distinction very clear. The, the whole reason we plan is because we know that our plan is going to be wrong. We're trying to design a strategy for how we respond. But there's a there's a subtle mental effect of that planning sometimes, which actually, you know, with just like athletes that envision success, right? You know, and then you're able to follow through on that in reality. Uh, if we spend too much time in that planning phase, we can actually wire neurons in our brain that then cause us trouble when the unexpected happens. Uh, and I really want to make sure we're watching out for that. Um, again, I think there are also lots of risks that come in a rising market. There are three main risks in business, right? The one is revenue. The other is cost. And the and the third one, third major one is cost of capital. Uh, take two years ago in the farming business, Prices uh, of grains really drove up in the very late part of the year, which created for a lot of farmers in the center of the country the most profitable year. Because what happened is the price of grain, you know, the war in Ukraine happened. Price of grain shot up very late in the year after that grain was put up. Mm -hmm. And you essentially had high prices taken and your costs were the prior year's cost. So the costs were still quite low. Mm -hmm. Uh, then next year, the price was also high, but the costs had caught up. And of course, the cost of capital had caught up. I'm adamant that we are not in an, in an environment where our cost of capital is high. We've gotten very used to very low you know, capital costs, interest rates, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're back to something that's much more like normal, even still probably below normal if you look at a long-term average. But that said, the cost has gone up and we need to address that. And so it's all well and good to ask for high prices, but usually that comes with high costs mm -hmm. and the lag is significant. So the first year when the price jumps up, profit is higher than the second year because now diesel and mm -hmm. equipment and everything else has caught up. Yeah, and I, and I always go back to this thing, whether we're in an inflationary environment, no matter what interest rates are, Having cash and having quick access to cash is always the best. Uh, when opportunities arise, if it's a three-month process for you to get out of one thing and, and then go take advantage of the opportunity, it's already gone. When I look at situations where people have great working capital and have good cash reserves, when that opportunity presents itself, you're able to just act you know, very, very quickly. And, and those opportunities open and close. Uh, there are sometimes when the opportunity is available for a month, and there are sometimes when it's available for about three days. And if you have a good cash position, if you have good liquidity, you can exploit those very, very quickly. Mark, we know that markets are inefficient, and uh, exploiting that inefficiency is what we're really spending a lot of time doing. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, that was <laughs> that was excellent. Um, Wally, I know you mentioned you have to take off soon. So I want to wrap up with kind of one question for both of you. And that's a fairly 
broad question is just like we've talked about a lot here, but if you were to give a specific piece of advice or something, kind of a, a wrap up thought to someone, uh, to a cattle producer, as we look forward at the next couple of years, um, you can take a minute, take two, whatever, you know, you want, what would you share with them, um, to best set them up to take advantage of and prepare for the, the upcoming couple of years. And I'll let whoever feels they're ready, take that first. <laughs> I, I will start. You need to, what, what they need to do is learn how first thing is, is to value their inventory. And, and what that is, is you value your heifer calves, your first calf heifers, two-year-old cows, put a value on all of them. So you learn to start seeing how they drop off, you know, from five to six or whenever the drop off comes and, and, and track, you know, the value going up, you know, and then the value going down and learn to track those and uh, become aware of it. So you can start capitalizing on that and you can see where your opportunities are and you, and just, take advantage of it, you know, and, and the best way I can tell you to get started is, is, you know, you're keeping some heifer calves, we'll keep a few more heifer calves and go sell some five-year-old cows. And you'll discover that the sun comes up the next day and life goes on. And all of a sudden you have more cash to deal with, you know, mm -hmm. and it just start slow. I mean, I don't, you know, because, you know, it's a big change. I mean, you know, I'm going against everything in the world, everybody says, you know, but uh, I just, you know, depreciation just massacres the, the, the profit. If you, if you compare a heifer calf and a cull cow, they're usually very close in value. And that's what makes the cow-calf business break even because we do not capture the run-up in their value. And that's, yeah. you know, that's just what it is and uh and just do the relationships you know and live in today you know doesn't matter you know you aren't going to i'm going to punch at you again jared you know you aren't going to pick the high you're not going to you know just if it's a good deal do it you know yeah. and it's deal with relationships yeah. good thank you john you've had a little time what uh <laughs> what did you come up yeah with? Good. So I think there are a couple of things. Uh, the first one is no matter what, know your costs, right? You have got to know what your costs are. And in the current environment, those costs are changing. Yeah. So if you, you know, take a feed yard operator as an example, a couple of years ago, 35 cents was not an unreasonable uh, yardage cost. I promise you every cost that contributes to yardage has gone up since then. So if you are still charging the same amount of yardage that you were three years ago, you are probably undercharging. Mm -hmm. And and again, you, you have to work within the market, what people will pay, that sort of thing. But that, that proposition is very different. The other thing that gives us a great opportunity is that rising markets are a pretty forgiving place to learn. And I think more so than a down market. And I think that using the tools that that Wally and Doug and others, you know, Bud taught us, uh, this is a very potentially a very nice time to pay a little bit of tuition, but your tuition at this point may come from lost gains instead of realized losses. Uh, and that's a very different environment to learn in. And I think right now is a great time to really get to know how the sell-by marketing program works, come to understand how you think about it, you know, what works well for you and what doesn't, so that when the when the follow-up drop in the market 
outcomes, you have developed a skill set that allows you to deal with that. Trying to learn this process during a down market can be very difficult. And, and that lockup is caused, as Wally talks about that, lockup is caused by a number of things, but mostly it's stuff that's going on in your own head, mm -hmm. right? We freeze. It's analysis paralysis, right? Or paralysis by analysis, right? You get in the middle of those things and you think wrong. And then the next thing you know, the markets click down two more times. The great thing about a rising market is if you are a little slow or a little clumsy or you miss it a time or two, there's a lot of forgiveness there. And so that is a good time to build this skill. And while it is tempting if the market is rising to just live on your, you know, sit on your laurels and live on that, yeah. that is not doing anything to increase your skill base for when the market turns the other way. We know it's going to go up. We know it's going to go down. Uh, it's happened over and over again. That That is the constant. What we need to do is is build our skills, our risk management skills, so that we can operate in both situations. Yeah, awesome. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I work for the Sustainable Farming Association. Work with people to kind of implement soil health principles, and I always talk about that and stuff too. Where it seems like the good times, they're like, well, why do I need to do anything different? So I'm already exactly. making money, and in the bad times, it's like, well, I can't afford to try something new because you yep. know I might go under. So it's yeah, we need to. Be willing to push our comfort level a little bit in the good times. So, yeah, and and never forget that the bad times are always. And this is no slight against bankers or anybody else, but the bad times are when the bankers are going to be the hardest to work with. Yeah. The the bad times there there it's not just cattle prices that that decline that cause difficulty. It's a whole host of other things that happen yeah. at the same time. And you don't want to be you don't want to be sort of learning this on on newborn feet, you know during that time you want to be doing it when when things are easy but again like I say there's a real temptation to rest on your laurels and there is nothing as dangerous as success mm -hmm. uh once you've you know one criteria i talk about a lot with people is this idea that you've got to live through a few of these real bad times to kind of understand where you're at and 2015 to 17 gave us one place to look at that while they got to live through stuff in the 80s that gave us an opportunity to look at that we are going to have that again you may be real good when it's raining, but we know what the difference is, you know, when it dries out. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, I uh, would like to give you each an opportunity to plug your businesses, any classes you have upcoming, um, anything that you'd like to uh, to share with the listener, and, and then also how people can reach out and, and find you or find more information uh, if they are looking for that. Very good. I'll start. You can. I am. I do not have any classes scheduled right now. I'm getting ready to do my fall schedules, which I will get out here directly on the marketing schools. Then we, uh, John and I and Cinnamon Linhart have ranching.fyi where we just are gathering up information from all different people and putting it on there. It's a subscription website. Go visit it. And then, uh, you know, to reach me, just go to Olson Ranch LLC and all my info contact information's on there. And uh, I will get back to you. I, I may not get back to you real promptly, depending on where I am at in my business ventures. But I will certainly try to get back with you and help you out yeah. and stuff. Because, uh, you know, uh, I was blessed with many mentors in my life. And uh, it's time to give back because... Chip Hines, he's passed away now, but we've talked lots about putting an old head on young shoulders, and uh, I'm willing to do that, sir. Try. 
And I, I hope I put some old head on your shoulders today, Jared. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I'm, I'm uh, not too thick skinned to uh, take a call out. So I appreciate that. I, uh, <laughs> uh, it's good. Good stuff. Um, John, what about you? couple of things. Let me add on to what Wally said about ranching.fyi. We are in the process of, uh, as he said, you know, collecting and accumulating information and sharing it. We're also in the process of developing some some more in-depth courses on on the, some of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about. So, for example, you know, Wally has an online marketing school uh, that is improving all the time. We have some other courses that we're putting together that that go in more depth about finance, about some of these other mentalities, some of these other things that affect all of us. Uh, and then obviously Ranch Right, which is, like I said earlier, uh, primarily a bookkeeping, consulting and coaching firm where we help people, you know, know their what their costs are, understand how their business is performing and do that in such a way that they can respond in a timely manner. Uh, just so people understand, we are that company is two years old. We are growing very rapidly. We've seen a lot of really good demand for our services. Uh, we have, we are taking, continue to take clients, but we're doing so on a bit of a wait list. And uh, we, I think, I believe it's worth waiting for, uh, but our first priority is our existing customers, make sure we're servicing those and then making sure we're able to keep the, the quality and the consistency of, of our product as we bring new on. Um, we've changed our operations some here recently to really ac better accommodate the growth that is happening. Uh, and I'm really excited about the stuff we've got coming this coming year. We also do a webinar once a month, uh, with Wal generally with Walter Lynn, where we talk about the specifics of financials. Uh, and so that's fairly specific that those are available both on the website, which is www.ranchridellc.com and on our YouTube channel, which is at ranchridellc. Um, if you get on the website, you can reach out, contact us. Our uh, email is office, O-F-F-I-C-E at ranchridellc.com. And the phone number is on the website, 307-763-8413. But all of that stuff is on the website. And there's a calendar link if you want to book a call and talk about the specifics of your business. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you both. This was fantastic. I'm, I'm really glad we we made this happen. I didn't realize you were out in Wyoming. It was probably pretty early for you uh, this morning, John, but I I, uh, I appreciate it. This was my second call of the really? day, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. Yeah, with, my wife loves it. We have East Coast customers. Thankfully, my office is separate from the house. So yeah. when I'm on the phone at 430 in the morning, wow. it doesn't wake all the kids. Good, good. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you both so much. Very Thanks good. for having us, Jared. This is a lot of fun. Appreciate it. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.